Costa Rica Travel Pass is a paid sponsor of Mormon Discussion Podcast. Costa Rica Travel Pass helps families enjoy Costa Rica flexibly, independently, and affordably. A family of four can enjoy a week in Costa Rica for under $1,200 plus airfare. If you're ready for an out-of-the-bus vacation that your family will always remember, visit Costa Rica Travel Pass at CostaRicaTravelPass.com or calling 1-877-780-7277. Mormon Discussion Podcast is an effort to help Latter-day Saints like you strengthen your faith and to support you in your trials of faith. This podcast operates on the donations of listeners like you. To help this podcast, please consider making a donation at mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On the right-hand side, about halfway down. Thank you. discussion. You can reach me by email at realmormon at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook at LDS Leadership Principles. You can also find this podcast on iTunes or at its host site, mormondiscussion.podbean.com. On today's episode, I want to talk about tithing. A few weeks ago, we interviewed Rock Waterman and we discussed with him his interpretation of tithing. It, it struck a chord with me in the sense that it's a subject that I haven't looked into deeply I kind of understand the basic nuance of it, but I wanted to be more informed, and I thought I'd share with you what I found. And I want to be real simple and plain. I don't think this episode will go very long, but let's begin by looking at Doctrine and Covenants, section 119, verses 3 through 5. And this shall be the beginning of the tithing of my people. And after that, those who have thus been tithed shall pay one-tenth of all their interest annually. And this shall be a standing law unto them forever. For my holy priesthood, saith the Lord, Verily I say unto you, it shall come to pass that all those who gather into the land of Zion shall be tithed of their surplus properties, and shall observe this law, or shall not be found worthy to abide among you. Now let's turn to Genesis chapter 4, 14, I'm sorry, chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. And it says, And he blessed him, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine, hand, into thine hand. And he gave him tithes of all. Now that doesn't seem like a big deal. But what we have to recognize is that Joseph Smith, in the Joseph Smith translation, decided to add to this chapter. In the Joseph Smith translation, Genesis chapter 14, 37 through 40, it says, And he lifted up his voice, and he blessed Abram, being the high priest, and the keeper of the storehouse of God. Him whom God had appointed to receive tithes for the poor. Wherefore Abram paid unto him tithes of all that he had, of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him more than that which he had need. And it came to pass that God blessed Abram and gave unto him riches and honor and lands for an everlasting possession according to the covenant which he had made, according to the blessing wherewith Melchizedek had blessed him. The important part is verse 39, where it says, Abram paid unto him tithes of all that he had, of all the riches which he possessed, which God had given him more than that which he had need. There's an indication here almost that tithes were paid on the leftover. Now, in the Old Testament and New Testament, we're never told the percentage that is paid in tithing. 
So we ought to come to understand that even while Abraham, perhaps here, we're being told, paid on his leftover after his needs were taken care of, we don't know for sure that he paid a tenth. Now, if you look up tenth in, on LDS.org for all of its references, it is used quite a bit, way more than any other fraction. So there is some symbolism to a tenth. It is mentioned in some of the sacrifices that were made in the temple and other religious observances. So this is all the scripture that we have. I know growing up in, I shouldn't say in the church, I obviously I joined the church when I was 17, but being in the church from the age of 17 up until maybe five years ago, I was taught that tithing was 10% of gross and that that was absolute. And somewhere along the way, I kind of began to see it a different way, and I, I simply wanted to share some of these things so that maybe you can see it a different way as well. And I'm not saying it isn't gross. In fact, we'll get to what I think it is uh, later on. But we can see from Doctrine and Covenants 119, Genesis 14, and Joseph Smith translation, Genesis 14, that tithing is a commandment, that it shall be everlasting, that in Doctrine and Covenants 119 it is of their surplus properties, in Joseph Smith translation, it seems to be paid after uh, after Abram's needs were provided for all the things that were above that. And so we ask ourselves, what is the official church policy? And while lots of critics want to say the doctrine is hard to find, this is also one of those issues where that is not the case. In 1970, on March 19th, the First Presidency sent out a letter to the presidents of stakes, missions, and bishops in regards to the question of what is a proper tithe. They said, for your guidance in this matter, please be advised that we have uniformly replied that the simplest statement we know of is that statement of the Lord himself, that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. We feel that every member of the church should be entitled to make his own decision as to what he thinks he owes the Lord, and to make payment accordingly. Now that's the official statement. That seems really interesting, right? So the only definition the church is officially willing to give is that it is one-tenth of all their interest annually. And the church says which is understood to mean income. An important note here, too, is that income has been interpreted in, in all three areas, gross, net, or leftover. That the word income, based on how you use it, can be understood to mean all three of those extremes. Now they're saying that no one else is justified in making any other statement than that. And they feel every member of the church is entitled to make their own decision on what he owes the Lord, and then to make the payment accordingly. Now this was 1970, right? So this was a long time ago, and uh, perhaps it's outdated. Except that in the general handbook of instruction is still this statement. The simplest statement we know of is the statement of the Lord himself, namely that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of all their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. So they reiterate the 1970 statement in the current handbook of instruction. Now there were some talks given, and I'm not going to go into detail on all of them, but I do want to share a few statements. Again, this this episode is essentially here to do away with the idea that tithing is absolutely 10% of gross. So Daniel Johnson in 2006 gave a conference address in which he spoke of tithing and seemed to word it in a way that he interpreted tithing as being paid on gross. Elder Holland 
in October 2001 conference, also gave a talk on tithing, where he seems to indicate that his interpretation of it is paid on gross. Howard W. Hunter also gave a talk, and I'll quote him. He said, The law is simply stated as one-tenth of all their interest. Interest means profit, compensation, increase. It is the wage of one employed, the profit from one oper- from the operation of a business, the increase of one who grows or produces, or the income to a person from any other source. The Lord said it is a standing law forever, as it has been in the past. So that was from the conference report, April 1964. So here's one example of one leader whose interpretation of it seems to be gross, gross pay. But there are other interpretations as well. I want to share with you Elder Talmadge, Elder James E. Talmadge, who I, I kind of feel this indicates net, uh, but there are other ways to interpret this as well. He says, you have need of many things in this world, food, clothing, and shelter for your family and yourself, the common comforts of life, and the things that shall be conducive to refinement, to development, to righteous enjoyment. You desire a material, you desire material possessions to use for the assistance of others, and thereby gain greater blessings for yourself and yours. Now, you shall have the means of acquiring these things. But remember, they are mine, and I require of you the payment of rental upon that which I give into your hands. However, your life will not be one of uniform increase. In substance and possessions, you will have your losses as well as your gain. You will have periods of trouble as well as your times of peace. Some years will be years of plenty unto you, and others will be years of scarcity. And now, instead of doing as mortal landlords do, require you to contract with them to pay in advance, whatever your fortunes or your prospects may be, you shall pay me not in advance, but when you have received, and you shall pay me in accordance with what you receive. If it so be that in one year your income is abundant, then you can afford to pay me a little more. And if it so be that next year is one of distress, and your income is not what it was, then you shall pay me less. And should it be that you are reduced to the utmost penury, so that you have nothing coming in, you will pay me nothing. Have you ever found a landlord on earth who was willing to make that kind of contract with you? Consider the liberty, the liberality of it all, and the consideration that my Lord had, has had for me. I feel in my heart that I could scarcely raise my countenance to his heaven above if I tried to defraud him out of that just rental. So there's a great quote from Elder Talmadge. Now the last quote I want to read is Elder Orson Hyde. Uh, he seems to indicate that it is not gross or net, but rather at the end of the year whatever leftover you have. And this statement is, is from 1847. Elder Hyde says the celestial law requires one-tenth part of all a man's substance which he possesses at the time he comes into the church, and one-tenth part of his annual increase ever after. If it requires all man can earn to support himself and his family, he is not tithed at all. The celestial law does not take the mother and children's bread, neither aught else which they really need for their comfort. The poor that have not of this world's good to spare, but serve and honor God according to the best of their abilities in every other way, shall have a celestial crown, in the eternal kingdom of our Father. And so that's Elder Orson Hyde, who was an apostle. So the spectrum of choices that we can gather from the scriptures, from the First Presidency Statement, and from the quotes that I have just given you. First off, tithing is a tenth. It's not a fifth. It's not a twentieth. It's a tenth. That is not up for interpretation. The question is, what is it a tenth of? And I think on all the ends of the spectrum, there is the ability to reasonably say it is paid on gross, which is every single penny coming into you, regardless of what goes out to pay other people. Net, 
which is after uh, your taxes and other uh, things come out of it, or leftover, which is leftover after all your essential needs are paid, including food and housing and clothing. The point, though, is that we're not to define it for others, right? It is up to every man to make a decision for himself on what is an honest tithe. In the first presence, he says every man is entitled to that. And by giving every man entitlement to that decision, it takes room out for anybody else to judge someone on the decision they make based on what conclusion they came to. Now, the reason for their conclusion and where their heart is, is certainly something that a bishop or a stake president could address using the spirit of discernment. But the actual decision they made on whether they'll pay it on gross, net, or leftover is not for anyone else to to decide. Remember that statement. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. It is a personal decision between us and the Lord. And I think it's a blessing and an opportunity to receive revelation. So I want to just talk about one thing. There's been the comment in the church at times that says that, well, do you want net blessings or gross blessings? And that quote would be completely inappropriate. Because what that does is guilt or put pressure on someone to come to the same interpretation that the person who's saying that is using. And that's not what the First Presidency Statement says. So tithing is up to each member of the church to decide prayerfully. Now, this isn't a loophole. This isn't a way for you to escape having to pay on gross. In fact, I see gross as a very viable option. And you're going to ask me my interpretation. Guess what? It's not my job to tell you. But having thought about this matter, having studied it out, having pondered on it, having talked to the Lord personally on it, I have my own interpretation. But the only statement I would share with you is, again, the 1970 statement. Listen closely. For guidance in this matter, please be advised that we have uniformly replied that the simplest statement we know of is that statement of the Lord himself that the members of the church should pay one-tenth of their interest annually, which is understood to mean income. No one is justified in making any other statement than this. We feel that every member of the church should be entitled to make his own decision as to what he thinks he owes the Lord and to make payment accordingly. The interpretation is between you and the Lord, so go get your answer. God bless, and may the Lord warm your shoulders.